You're listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. In this episode, we chat about a very unique topic, genomic tumor analysis for the management of diagnostically challenging cancers in dogs with our guest, Esther Chone. Welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today, we have Esther Chon joining us. Esther, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to learn more about the insights on your really important manuscript. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very grateful for being a guest on this podcast and having this opportunity to discuss our manuscript. So thank you so much. So your open access manuscript in JAVMA discusses how genomic tumor analysis can help veterinarians manage and diagnose challenging cancers in dogs. And as we just looked before jumping onto this podcast, it's received a lot of attention, both in the news and on social media. What new information can our readers learn from your manuscript to better serve their patients and their clients? All right. So uh, for our readers, I can boil down uh, the novel takeaways, the big novel takeaways from this manuscript to, I think, three points. Um, the first is that there exists this multifaceted tumor genomic test called Searchlight DNA that can be performed on any cancer that can be sampled with a fine needle aspirate or a biopsy. It's really the first of its kind in veterinary medicine because it's multifaceted. So what do I mean by that? Um, I mean that this test not only gives therapeutic options, but it also provides diagnostic guidance and, and also gives prognostic information all in one report. Um, secondly, those frustrating cases where you just don't know what you're dealing with um, other than that it's cancer. So for example, like a histology report reads malignant neoplasia, um, then genomics can be used to provide diagnostic clarity. And as our study showed, it can be done in over 50% of the, these types of cases. And then thirdly, um, in this cohort of diagnostically challenging cases, uh, genomic testing with Searchlight DNA provided diagnostic, prognostic, and or therapeutic information in 86% of the cases. So that means that for the vast majority of these cases with unclear diagnoses, the guesswork is taken out of what to call them, what to expect, and how to treat them. That's fantastic. It's really interesting to learn what's happening kind of in the oncology world. We just did another podcast recently about um, liquid biopsy too for cancer detection in dogs. So all this is just like really, really cool information, I think. So because this, this is so cool, what yeah. should veterinarians know about this test as far as availability, pricing, turnaround time for results, any other tidbits of info that you think vets would like to know? Oh, awesome. Yeah. So this test is available to any veterinarian. So primary care veterinarians, as well as specialists. Um, and the list price for this test to the veterinarian is $750. The turnaround time is nine to 12 calendar days. So that's from the time the sample reaches our lab, the Vidium lab, to the time a report is emailed to the clinician. And the ordering process is a really simple one. It's just an online order form. So they fill out the, the order form. If the, the sample is already in another reference laboratory, then one of the questions is, where is the sample? And you just need to tell us what the accession number is. And then we will do the legwork to get that sample over to us so that nobody in the hospital, no receptionist, no, no technician, no doctor needs to be on the phone um, with any lab to get that over to us. We'll do all that legwork. So we're trying to make it as simple as possible for the clinician and the hospital overall. 
That's really amazing, Esther. It really sounds like it is a really well thought out process. Sometimes we develop tests and uh, they don't become really highly usable. So congratulations to your team. Thank you. I, I congratulate them too. <laughs> it was already in process before I came in. So I give them full credit for sure. In your career path, what inspired you to go down this line of genomics oncology and what inspired you to write this manuscript? Oh, yes. So what inspired me to um, to go down the path of genomics was um, a little bit unexpected, honestly, but um, but I had been in practice for a very long time and uh, and I saw a lot of frustration. I experienced the frustration firsthand um, when it came to diagnostics. So, um, but but when it came to genomics in general, I'd have to say that I saw what was happening in the human space. I saw all these successes with genomics, and I wanted to see that in my patients too. So, um, so that was one of the reasons why I thought genomics was um, was something that I wanted to in, in endeavor in um, personally. But as far as writing this manuscript, um, it was a combination of factors. So the first um, is that I started to see that many of my colleagues were using genomic testing to find targeted therapy options, which is perfectly fine and absolutely one of the great utilities that Searchlight DNA offers. However, I also saw Searchlight DNA's potential from another perspective that not many of my colleagues were noticing, at least I didn't think they were, um, and yet that I thought could really help them. So I think if you're a veterinarian, um, especially a companion animal veterinarian, you have one, come across diagnosing cancer in your patients. Um, and two, um, you've seen those pathology reports that can be quite frustrating because they're not really giving you an answer about what tumor type it is that you're dealing with and telling you kind of what you already know is, is cancer, right? And then leaving you to do a lot of the guesswork of what to treat it with and what to expect. So the combination of having experienced this for myself in the clinics, um, along with seeing the potential of Searchlight DNA to help um, in these situations really inspired me to write this manuscript. Um, and I also wanted to show that this test, first of all, existed, right? And the multiple utilities that it, that it has. Um, so I thought the best way to highlight the diagnostic utility of Searchlight DNA was to evaluate a cohort of diagnostically ambiguous cases uh, for which Searchlight DNA was performed, as I've done in this study. Perfect. That's a really nice dovetail into uh, my next question, and, and that is, there's a few several authors, co-authors on this manuscript, and so it's really highly collaborative, which is a, a huge kudos to you again and your team. How did you, what would you give to other authors and the readers about how did you foster that collaboration, not only to complete the research, but also to write the manuscript? Oh yeah, that, thank you for noticing that. There was, there was a lot of work that went into this study and I really needed to call on the expertise of the various teams within Vidium, um, especially those that were intimately involved with producing the genomic data um, analyzing it, um, and then evaluating it, particularly for this study. So I think the fact that each um, had different but nonetheless important roles in this study is kind of a reflection of the many cogs that constitute uh, Vidium Animal Health and also the Searchlight DNA wheel. Um, and so we're, Vidium is actually composed of many teams. So teams of uh, literature curation, genomic scientists, bioinformaticians, pathologists, medical oncologists, uh, research and development, um, operations, customer service, we're all kind of, you know, there, there are many parts to us, but each of these team members play such a vital role in the company and 
specifically also first or straight DNA. Um, so not every team member was on the manuscript, but those that played a role in collecting the information, analyzing it, and then helping to write the manuscript were all included. Um, and there wasn't actually a particular need for me to go out and 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 foster collaboration because that collaboration already inherently exists within the company. So actually that that was made easy for me. Um, and it, that's also another reason why I love working with this company is because it's just so easy to be able to reach out to each of these uh, different departments and be able to um, to to discuss a, a case, let's say, or a research project or, or you know, and it's just, it's really easy. The, the culture has made it really easy. Um, but I led the project because as the medical oncologist on the team, I had first first-hand experience on the other side of the table as a practicing clinician, seeing these types of cases and experiencing that, that frustration. So I wanted my colleagues to know that there is now another tool to help them demystify uh, these ambiguous cases to help them manage them better. Uh, don't get me wrong. I don't think, I, I think actually many of the supplementary tests that I mentioned in the manuscripts, such as immunohistochemistry, flow cytometry, can all be very helpful as a first step for these cases, but genomics can also be quite helpful and, and very easily available to veterinarians. It definitely answered my question, but you make it sound easier than it is. I mean, I, I and you can you can get ideas all you want to, but again, Esther, like congratulations to you for executing not just the study but finalizing the manuscript. Awesome. Thank you. Which then brings me to my next very selfish question: as the editor in chief in JAVMA, <laughs> uh, and this is as as Sarah said in the beginning, uh, gaining a tremendous amount of attention on all all social media platforms and readership. Uh, how did you choose and why did you choose to submit and publish your manuscript in JAVMA? Awesome question. Um, so I chose JAVMA for two reasons. Uh, firstly, I wanted to reach as many veterinarians as possible. And knowing the large uh, membership of the AVMA and with JAVMA being one of the journals of the AVMA, I thought it was the right choice to reach as large a readership as possible. Um, secondly, I also wanted to get this message out, most especially to primary care veterinarians, because primary care vet vets are the ones who are primarily diagnosing cancer, um, and most cancer patients are treated and managed by their primary care veterinarians. At this latter portion that I just told you of primary care uh, veterinarians managing and treating the majority of oncology patients was news to me when I actually joined the company. It's so eye-opening. So when I was practicing as an oncologist, I was so naive as to think that oncologists were treating the majority of oncology patients out there. I think that's probably because of how hard my oncologist colleagues and I were working. We were working nonstop to the bone. And um, But then I joined the company. I looked at the numbers and found that oncologists were seeing less than one-fifth so less than 20% of the patients who needed oncologic care. And that's if all oncologists were working five days a week, 50 weeks a year, so like over time. Um, so I was stunned at how, how many were in need of our care and unable to get it because of a variety of different reasons. There may not be an oncologist in the state that they live in, or the wait time might be six months, or the distance to drive is like three to four hours, you know, and, and it's taking a whole day off work just for an appointment. And these are recurring appointments, right? So it wasn't feasible for many, many people. And there are those that just don't want to see a specialist and want the care of their beloved primary care vet, which is so understandable, right? So I knew we needed to get the message out to these primary care vets 
um, that um, that there w- there is a great tool out there for them to manage and treat cancer patients, and especially these difficult ones. Um, and by no means am I trying to cut out the oncologist. I am one, so why would I want to cut myself out of the picture? In fact, oncologists were our first sphere of veterinarians um, to which we introduced this test because it's a great tool for them uh, too. So if the if the patient is going to see an oncologist, this test can be performed uh, for the oncologist as they wait, especially for those that don't have a name. Um, and if they're not going to see an oncologist, which it seems like the vast majority, that's more information uh, for the primary care vet themselves or another specialist that they might see um, to to help manage the, the cancer. So um, so yeah, that was the reason why I chose JAPMA. Great. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. Our readership, as Esther said, is over 101,000 AVMA members. It's a it, JAPMA is a member benefit. So your work will be seen by well over 101,000 people and your manuscript is open access. So anybody anywhere can read it. Um, and the other part I'd like to advertise about JAVMA for you potential authors is our time from submission to publication is less than 80 days, consistently less than 80 days. So, And I can attest to that. <laughs> it was definitely less than 80 days here. Awesome. <laughs> well, awesome. good. We're, we're really focused on customer service. So thank you. Yeah. Esther, are there plans to investigate this testing modality in other species? Absolutely. There are definitely plans for that. Um, with cats being top of mind, right? So we'll do this, and I get that question a lot from so many of my colleagues. Um, and and so we will do this as soon as the science allows it. So because our test is based on biomarker associations that are directly supported by published literature, uh, we need to have that information in the literature so that we can have that data in our reports. So as soon as that that is out there, we will we will do so. We definitely have not forgotten about cats or other species. That's great to hear. I'm a cat lady, so I definitely appreciate you saying that. So thank you. We're excited about that. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you are a board-certified veterinary oncologist. How did your training prepare you to write this manuscript? Awesome. So the biggest impact of my background as a medical oncologist is the firsthand experience that I had as a practicing clinician. Um, As I said, like I experienced the frustration with these exact kinds of cases, because without a name, it's it's really hard to know what drug to reach for. And at that point, it becomes much more of a guessing game. Half the battle is knowing what you're dealing with. And then when you don't know that, it's already, to me, a losing battle. So having that experience with these cases allowed me to come from a place of understanding the need um, and then sharing the frustrations of our uh, of our potential readers and then offering a solution that as a medical oncologist, I can fully support because I know this is a very heavily science based and science backed uh, test. So I can I can fully support that as a medical oncologist. But on a larger scale, the the manuscript was Searchlight DNA's debut in the literature. So I wanted to also highlight that this test could be used for not only diagnostically difficult cases, which we really focused on, but really for any cancer uh, that could be easily aspirated or biopsied and by any veterinarian. Because I think a, a misnomer out there is that it can, it's only for specialists and it really isn't. Um, it's for specialists and non-specialists. And so it, it really had a dual purpose um, I, by highlighting its use in these difficult cases. We were also demonstrating its utility in all cancer cases, not only the diagnostically difficult ones. 
That actually provides a very nice segue into our next question, which is arguably one of our most important questions on the podcast. Mm. If a veterinarian is about to meet a client, what is one piece of information they should know about genomic tumor analysis? It was hard to boil it down to one piece. (laughs) Um, But genomic tumor analysis brings human caliber diagnostic technology into our hands to help us better understand and treat cancer in our vet patients. And because of this, we can now offer additional treatment options for your patient's cancer and with drugs that can be easily prescribed for the pet parent to give at home. Um, So that that wave of the future is here. I think it's really here to stay. So let's take advantage of it is what I would say. Great. Thank you so much, Esther. Uh, As we start to wind up the podcast, we ask a little more of the personal side of information for you. So what is the oldest or the most interesting thing on your desk or in your desk drawer? Okay, so I hope you don't laugh at me. Um, But the oldest thing, and actually, ironically, the newest thing as well in my desk drawer um, are stickers. (laughs) So when I was a little girl, I started collecting stickers. Um, And then I slowed down during adolescence. I wonder why. Um, And then only intermittently collected stickers after that. But then um, I started picking it back up again when my children came, um, which gives me a chance to say hi, kids, uh, in case they ever listen to this podcast in the future. Um, And so there are actually several packets of stickers in my drawer. (laughs) And the oldest one is actually from my undergrad college days um, with the most recent packet actually from last summer. So I, it's my guilty pleasure. I love doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. And hi kids, your mom's amazing. As <laughs> uh, to the word grit, we hear a lot now and you need grit to get through vet school or MD school or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and it's trendy and you clearly have it. Who or what or where did your grit come from? So I think that came directly from my parents. So they are the hardest working people I know um, with such a powerful work ethic that very few people have come close to meeting. Um, So I think they passed it down to me genetically, and that would be awesome to find the gene that's for grit. Um, But I also grew up watching them in their own grit to make a good life for their family, which entails them and my older brother and myself. So I really give all that credit to my parents for instilling that grit in me all throughout my youth. But then in my adult life, I surrounded myself with very, very driven people, very gritty people also. And I ended up marrying one (laughs) who has incredible grit himself. So I continue to, I feel like, surround myself with people that foster my grit and maybe I foster theirs as well. So this is another chance for me to say hello and thank you (laughs) to all of them. taking full advantage of this. (laughs) Oh, please do. We're we're happy to have you. And it's been great for our listeners to to learn more about your amazing work and how it's hopefully going to help the lives of many future patients. So thank you so much, Ashley, for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. To our listeners, you can read Esther's manuscript in March 2023, print Javma or open access on our journal website. I'm Dr. Sarah Wright with Dr. Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to.